but for whatever reason, Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, they became catalysts for true change. For the first time in my life, I saw white folks stand in solidarity. You know, I racism is just, it's not something for, uh, for black folks to solve. If we could have solved it, it would have already been done. It's gonna take all of us. I'm Jack Newton, CEO of Clio, and this is the Daily Matters podcast. On Daily Matters, we talk with legal professionals, industry leaders, and subject matter experts about the future of law. We explore where the legal industry is headed, how legal practice is changing, and what you can be doing to position yourself for success. This episode of Daily Matters is brought to you by the 2020 Clio Cloud Conference, the world's best legal conference, which is going completely virtual for the first time in eight years. Get your pass now at cliocloudconference.com. Today's guest is Risha Grant, a top diversity and inclusion keynote speaker, founder and CEO of Risha Grant LLC, an award-winning diversity consulting and communications firm, and author of That's BS, How Bias Synapse Disrupts Inclusive Cultures. Risha will also be leading a virtual seminar in partnership with Clio this Wednesday, August 19th at 9 a.m. Pacific time and 12 p.m. Eastern time. The event will focus on fostering better DNI practices at law firms, to register, click the link in our show description. Risha, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. Risha, start us off telling us a bit about your background and career and the work you do with companies around diversity and inclusion. Well, I've been in business 25 years. I uh, started the first uh, full service diversity communications consulting firm here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And so I've been at it a very long time. And it's great to uh, to finally feel like we're seeing uh, seeing the needle change, and that companies and communities are truly embracing diversity and inclusion. When I started on this journey, no one was talking about it, and they didn't want to talk about it. And the only way to sell it was really to focus on the economic benefit of it. So um, it's good to see it evolve. And tell us a bit about your approach to DNI, and in particular, uh, you talk about getting rid of the BS, what, mm-hmm. what does that mean? And tell me a bit more about your, your overall approach. Well, it took a, a while to get there because I felt like, you know, for a lot of companies, we were talking around it a lot. Um, and mainly that was because companies really were more reactive instead of proactive during that time. And so after you've been at this, you know, 10 or 15 years, you realize that it is a lot of BS and that we really needed to focus on and on waiting in the waiting into the middle of the BS to figure out what's really going on. So that's how I came up with it. Bias synapse is a play on bullshit, mainly because that's what it felt like for most of my career that I've been building this is that companies were checking a box, people were checking a box. Um, you know, I tried to begin selling it from the moral aspect of it and that it's the right thing to do and it's gonna make companies better in that way. But again, um, there was no interest unless you're talking about the bottom line, which I get it. Companies have to focus on their bottom line. That's how they stay in business. But as we look at how this thing has evolved, I think that we can see that not focusing on the moral case um, has also created a lot of problems. So my approach is to face it head on. And head on means wading into the middle of the BS. BS stands for bias synapse. A synapse is how your brain communicates between brain cells usually in one direction. And that's how I came up with it because biases are the same way. They work in one direction, that direction is negative. So, so that's my approach. I like to, um, to be straightforward. I like to be real about it. 
um, not, let's not talk around it. You know, I'm not the right consultant for you or the right speaker for you. If I can just uh, be honest and upfront about how it is that these things are affecting your workforce and your employees. So what do you find makes companies most uncomfortable when, when you're talking about them, you know, kind of wanting to talk around it rather than really getting into it? Where do you feel like the, the, the backs start getting, getting up and, and they start maybe showing some reservation around where you're trying to go with the conversation? Well, nobody wants to hear what they're doing wrong, especially in this space. People are really, really defensive about what's happened, what's not happened. And now everybody is talking about systemic racism and white supremacy in ways that has never happened in my lifetime. So those things make people extremely uncomfortable. So I think that's where, and, and even before it was more about um, just nobody wants to talk about race. Nobody wants to talk about discrimination um, or, or any of those things. So I think anytime you, you begin talking about it, people get really nervous and it's not a conversation they want to have, but now they are being forced to have those conversations. So it's an, an uncomfortable conversation just because you're starting off at a point where you need to maybe admit that you're not where you need to be. And maybe there exactly. has been structural flaws in how you've been recruiting, how you've been building pipeline, how you've been promoting and hiring that's an uncomfortable place for, for people to get. How do you, how do you help companies through that, that leap, which is obviously a, you know, an uncomfortable maybe moment of self-realization for a lot of people and a lot of organizations? Yeah, it's, it's been a difficult process. I remember having a company that I was consulting for, they were a Fortune 500 company. And when we put together the report, we had on their, their demographics and their demographics showed that the company was 80% white, leadership 100% white, um, older white men, and they were literally pissed about it. Honestly, they um, they wanted it taken out of the report, and I'm you know, and the whole time I'm thinking, but these are your demographics. This is, this is not these are numbers that I made up, and it is what it is. So we need to move. We need to be able to create change here, meaning right. that we need to implement a DNI recruitment plan that's going to be able to change that. But again, it, it's one of those things where the company didn't want to. They didn't want to admit that and they didn't want it in writing anywhere. It's interesting. It sounds like many of these engagements actually start off more like uh, an intervention where you, you need to start off holding the mirror up to the person with a problem saying this is, yeah. <laughs> this is this is where you're at. And maybe that's where a lot of organizations just fall off the wagon. They don't like what they, they see or don't want to accept that it's correct. And you're you're not able to proceed from there. Exactly. Exactly. And a lot of them get stuck there. But like I said, now more than ever, um, I'm not seeing that as much as I used to see it. Um, it really seems like companies want to, uh, they want to create true, true change. They, they don't want to check a box anymore. And I'm sure there are some still out there, but I am great to be in a position to not have to work with those companies. Absolutely. Um, maybe talk about that for, for a moment as well. It, it does feel like there's been a you know, turning point over the last three or four months, uh, are you seeing what you would regard as true and, and hopefully enduring change in the way that companies are approaching this problem? Or, or are, are you anxious that it is uh, just a reflection of this moment in time and will fade into the background? I don't feel like that. And I think it's just because I have the experience of having uh, been in the field for so long, I know what it looks like for a company to check a box they never, they don't care about inclusive policies. They don't, um, 
they literally, as I was saying earlier, were reactive. So maybe a lawsuit was filed or maybe there were complaints, uh, EEO complaints and things like that, discrimination complaints. That So they had to do some type of diversity training before. But now companies are, they're coming to us. They want to make change. They want to know what these policies look like. They're hiring DNI people. You have employee resource groups. You have DNI task force. Um, it's the, the vibe is completely different in, in people talking to you. You know, they are, um, I think they're putting heart first and putting people first instead of putting money first in, in company goals. Certainly encouraging progress to, to see. And you, you talked earlier about how the, the way that companies are looking at DNI, even the way you need to motivate the conversation is, is evolving a little bit, that you've been able to move from, you know, this, this is something that can help drive results, for example, uh, instead of framing it as this is simply the right thing to do, which, which is right. obviously a great place to start. And I, I think that the conversation should hopefully be over at that point, but over and above just being the right thing to do, um, you talk on your website, the, the end result of your training being an energized workforce focused on diverse and inclusive cultures that generate new ideas, better performance and sales growth. So th th there is still the positive business impact to some of these evolutions and how we, we approach DNI. Can, can, can you talk about what those look like? What, what some of the research and what's in the data you've looked at in terms of what, what you've seen generate uh, in terms of positive results and impacts? When you look at inclusive cultures, I mean, before you couldn't find the stats, but if you were to even just Google it at this point, you're going to see that having a diverse workforce, there's six times, six times the benefits um, regarding growth. There's eight times the benefits regarding, um, regarding your sales. There are, um, I think one of the latest stats I saw on having more women on your board um, has increased profits for companies who have, uh, what was it, 30%, 20% of women now, now uh, seated on, on corporate boards. So there are, there are so many stats now to, uh, I guess, to just corroborate the, corroborate the fact that, um, that diversity and inclusion works. You know, the economics of it are there. You see a lot of companies, especially companies that we see, you know, running a lot of ads on television and things like that, that have gotten in trouble all the, you know, a lot of times because they don't have any diversity sitting there. So even if you don't look at the numbers, even if you just strictly look at what it's doing to your brand, some of the decisions that, that you're making, that you're putting out there, now you have social media that you have to worry about. So if you do something that, you know, there was one store that, had um, a shirt, you know, with the monkey on, and then they had a little black kid in the shirt. And, you know, you see things like that all the time. So it just speaks to the fact that if you don't have diverse people around the table, you're going to continue to um, to do things like that. So now companies aren't just losing money, they're losing reputation, you know, and they're uh, also losing people. Talk about maybe a couple of examples without talking about specific companies, but, but you've been at this long enough ratio where you'd be able to see almost the longitudinal study of companies you've worked with years ago and been able to see how they've been able to transform and some of the specific impacts your training has been able to have. Are, are you able to share uh, a, a few example case studies with us of, of what you've been able to see from an impact perspective? 
one company that I like to talk about a lot because um, a lot of a lot of these companies it's it's taken forever. And again, um, you have to be willing to take bold steps to get there. And companies have not been. I, I think that we're in that space now. But there is a company out of Boston that I've had the opportunity to work with. And when I started working with them, they had an initiative called 5050 by 2020. It's probably one of the most progressive goals that I've ever seen a company undertake. And what it meant was 50% men, 50% women, people of color, et cetera. And this was in 2018. So here we are in 2020, and this company is at 54%, 46%. So you can see them doing the work. Now it's a high-tech cybersecurity firm, a lot of young white guys. So they had a lot of fear around it. You know, people thought they would lose their jobs simply because they were not, um, they didn't fall into a diverse category. And no one should be hired or fired based upon diversity. And I thought the CEO did a great job of informing the employees about how they would get there what their retention rates looked like, how um, as people left the company, they would be more focused on making sure that they had diverse candidates when it came to when it came to hiring. So it wasn't based on that at all. And it took a little while for the employees to see that and, and, and truly understand the importance of, of diversity to the firm. But they they are a great example of a company that really took a a um, took a big step toward making sure that they are they were diverse. And conversely, have you seen some of the common mistakes you've seen companies leave either your training or other DNI training making, not not actually putting the plan into action and what some of the long-term negative impacts of that can be? I think they become stagnant. You know, you you have people that don't enjoy working there and What's what's crazy is when you do a baseline assessment or you begin to um, to do interviews with employees, there's always a gap or a difference of a difference in view of what leadership feels that the company is doing and what the employees feel that the company is doing. Leadership tends to see things a lot rosier when it comes to the employees and, you know, your employees are your best ambassadors. They walk out the door, they're going to talk about you good or bad. It's just like um, as all these companies started releasing diversity statements, you know, Amazon was one of those companies, but their employees came back and said, no, this is not true. So I think um, you actually have to be, you actually have to have a plan and be implementing the plan. If you're not doing that, people are going to know that. They're gonna, they're gonna see it, you know, we, we, have, we have social media, you can't get away with things the way that you could get away with them before. Can you talk about some of the specific strategies that you've recommended to companies? If, if there's what you would regard uh, as a set of best practices that you you like to see companies put into place, almost as a, a baseline when you do training with them, what some of those thematic recommendations look like? First and foremost, if it's consulting, I always want to do baseline assessments, meaning we're going to talk to leadership, we're going to talk to managers and supervisors, and we're going to talk to employees because we need to know how it is they feel the culture around the company as it it pertains to diversity and inclusion, what that looks like. So we would start with that. Um, From there, we can put together a tailored plan for your company because all companies are in a different space. It may, we may recommend, excuse me, we may recommend an ERG group or maybe it's a uh, DNI task force, somebody that's gonna hold the company accountable 
um, to the to whatever the goals are for diversity and inclusion. So it has to be about the people, not as much the process. You want to get people involved and engaged in a DNI process because if not, it's going to feel like something else that you're handing down to to them. I think it's really important to work with employees who have passion around this uh, this subject matter. I also think companies that embark upon DNI initiatives without leadership being engaged and involved is a huge mistake. You know, if your CEO doesn't care about it, you're not going to see much change. You, you you do all these uh, you do this initiative. You you bring on someone like myself. You spend a lot of money, but if the CEO doesn't understand the importance of it then the employees will never have the safe space that they need to be able to, um, to talk about what's really going on. Um, policies have to change. You know, that's, that's one of the things that is big for companies. A lot of this is about personal accountability and what it is that you can do to be a better person, but then you have to be back at the company policies and, and um, environments that's going to be conducive to, uh, to you being able to do the work whether it's unconscious bias or um, just diversity and inclusion in general. And what does it look like at a, at a tactical level when, when you start making recommendations for, you, you talked about a company in uh, the company in Boston that started mapping out a, a long-term goal for where they wanted to get to from a, a representation standpoint. What are some of the, the tactics that you see companies deploying to, to, to get there? How, how do they change their, operating system in terms of hiring and uh, promotion and and so on to to get to those those goalposts because it's one thing to set the goalposts but it seems like uh, a lot of companies fall down figuring out how do I get there how do I change exactly. change exactly. my hiring pipeline makeup how do I change my hiring practices how do I train my hiring managers um, and, and then once I you know maybe succeed at driving diversity in my workforce how do I actually create an inclusive workforce that is seeing uh, advancement uh, and, and so on and, and true, uh, true inclusivity. So can you talk about that for a moment and what you've seen maybe deployed as the most successful tactics on that front? I think, it's, I think there are a lot of things. It's again, first and foremost, figuring out where you are in the journey, how it is that your employees feel, because you may have to do uh, some work before you can even really start the initiative. You know, if you have a lot of employees, especially your diverse employees who feel that it's a toxic work environment, there may be some work that you need to do there with them first. But again, the ERGs, I think one of the most important things that a company can do is policy change, inclusive policies, um, anti-retaliation policies, zero tolerance policies, um, looking at your, your employee handbook and to see if it's um, exclusive of some employees, you know, we just um, we just passed a law where um, for same sex or I'm sorry where LGBT people cannot be fired for being gay here in Oklahoma. Right. Yeah, there are some things like that where I think companies before that happened, it's a place where companies can step in and make a change. So it, it may not be legal, but at this company we won't stand for that. You cannot be fired for that. That's really important. Uh, for people to understand and want to know. There are some companies that have bans on uh, natural hair for black women is that a policy is totally exclusive. Now we know that the court ruled that hair is transmutable so they can, um, they can change, you can change your hair basically. Well, but when you tell a person that the way that the hair grows out of their head is wrong, 
you know, I mean, what is a person supposed to do with that? And I think also these companies don't realize that in order for a black woman's hair to be straight, there are chemicals that she has to put in it that is not necessarily good, good for you health wise. So I, I think companies have a great, they have a great opportunity to go in and create change. I think we need to look at what professional, um, what professionalism looks like and who came up with that. Because again, it all, it all goes around being professional. Um, and one of the most important things a company can do is really, really start breaking their company down and look at systemic racism that has been built into every industry in the US and start looking at how that may be affecting the way they do business and the way that they treat their employees. Super useful advice. When it comes to the, you've, you've talked a lot about the creating inclusion in the workplace once mm -hmm. you, you know, for your your existing employees that might be diverse. For, for companies that are looking at, you know, maybe as you talked about in the self-assessment, just a workforce that is not diverse to start with. How, how do you start to talk about changing hiring practices and, and, and changing your approach to uh, integrating uh, diversity into the workforce. Do you have any takeaways or recommendations on that front? Yeah, I think you have to look at your recruitment plan. You know, people tend to hire people that they that they vibe with during a job interview. You know, right. there's some commonality there. We both enjoy sports and we both went to the same college. Th those types of things um, get people hired, I believe, more than the skill set. So I think you have to look at your recruitment plan. So if diversity is important to you, even if say you're recruiting from a university, are you looking at the diverse groups within the organization, within the university that you may be able to partner with? There are groups for women, there are groups for people of color, there are groups for uh, black folks, for LGBT people. So if you're just you know setting the table up in the student union and hoping people walk by, that may not be enough. Are you expanding recruitment uh, plan to include historically black colleges and universities? Um, there are different um, professional groups. There's a society of professional engineers. There's the National Association of Black Journalists. I mean, there are so many groups that companies could partner with if they truly want to, um, to look at diversity. And I will say that diversity has to be it has to be looked at as a strength, not as something we have to do. And now we're going to lose uh, the quality that we need because that all that is not true at all. I've talked to so many companies and so many people that say, well, now that we're looking at diversity, we're not looking at the best candidates. That is something that just it really irritates me because a, a woman, a person of color, any diverse pe person can be the most qualified for that position. We have to stop looking at it like that. Right. And I, I think what you're pointing out is, is a super important point as well, that you need to put some incremental effort into creating that diversity in your, in your pipeline. Exactly. If you're going to find those people that are the most qualified for the, for the job. And I think that's, yeah. that's where a lot of companies, I don't think realize how much additional effort that actually requires. It is a strategy. It's a, it's a real deliberate effort that needs to go into building those relationships with, as you mentioned, the various groups within universities or whatever, whatever that, that edge you can create for yourself right. in, in accessing that diverse talent. And I, I think it's a, a super important takeaway. You, you also talked about companies and, and maybe their shifting perspective. I'd love for you to, to speak about this for a moment. It feels like 
uh, in, in 2020, we've seen companies at large, and I, I think law firms certainly fit into this, uh, fit into this as well, shifting from, you know, a pure profit motive to feeling more social responsibility and, and feeling like they want to be not just good corporate citizens in terms of driving profitability for shareholders, mm-hmm. but net contributors to society. And, and it feels like a real sea change right. uh, in, in, in corporate America and, and beyond. Can, can you comment on that for, for a second, if that's something you've observed firsthand in your engagements with, with companies? I have in the last few months. I can say it is totally a new change um, you know, I've, I've spent some time thinking about why now, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of lives have been lost over time. Um, but for whatever reason, Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, they became catalysts for true change. For the first time in my life, I saw white folks stand in solidarity. You know, I racism is just, it's not something for uh, for Black folks to solve. If we could have solved it, it would have already been done. It's going to take all of us to deal with this, to um, to fix this, because it's really about humanity. It is a humanity issue. And now I see that. I see the humanity. I see people showing up in ways that they've never showed up before. And it's crossing over into our companies because our companies are realizing that people spend as much time at work as they do at home. And so racism is a way of life for your black employees, they encounter this every day. And if you want me to bring my whole self to work, there needs to be a place where I feel that, you know, and I and, and companies are stepping up. It feels great to me. It's, it's, I mean, watching some of those protests and seeing people stand in solidarity that have never done that before has, you know, been one of the blessings of, of my lifetime because I've never seen it. It, it does feel truly unprecedented. And uh, you pointed out it, it feels like we, we hit a, a tipping point, um, yeah. you know, for, for whatever confluence of, of factors, it feels like that's, that's finally happened and we're tipping mm-hmm. over into a period where we're seeing real change. And I, I think there's an opportunity to capitalize it in, on it and hope that we see this perpetuated in the, the long term as well and make this sustained change rather than something that is transitory. Can you talk a little bit about what you feel like we need to do to ensure that we are seeing that that enduring change rather than seeing uh, seeing maybe the, the clarity of vision that we we seem to have at the moment around what needs to change fade away for for whatever reason? I think we need to be self-aware. You know, we need to remember that people have to navigate this world differently um, because you're navigating in a world that was not built for you. I think companies need to realize that as they're having these conversations, I think it's important to remember that black folks and people of color have been having these conversations since the beginning of time, since they since they were born, because they have to be taught these things in order just to just to navigate the world. So while it's important to have the conversation, it's important to see action. You know what I would tell companies, listen, validate and act. Listen to understand, not to respond. If an employee comes to you and they have a situation, I can almost guarantee you, especially if that's a a black employee that they have vetted whatever the situation is through everybody they trust, mentors, friends, family, because they know when it's brought to HR that um, it could easily be excused away. 
So once you listen, you validate those experiences and then we create action. And action doesn't always have to be firing somebody. It could be building a plan. It could be looking at training. It could, it could be that um, maybe we need an ERG focused on this. Like listen, validate and act and become self-aware. Know what your unconscious biases are. Understand how that bias shows up in your behavior toward others. Allow people, or I will say, Make sure that people understand that they are valued simply for being a human being outside of what they're going to bring to the table or any of that stuff. People have to know um, how much you care before they care how much you know, right? Absolutely. Uh, and for our, our listeners, you know, the George Floyd's killing and, and the broader sea change that, that we've seen over the last few months has certainly impacted the legal industry. It's an industry that uh, has recognized and I think gained self-awareness over uh, especially the last few months that it is not an especially diverse and inclusive uh, industry as a whole. Um, and, and we're seeing many law firms uh, realize that, that they need to take action as well. They need to start being part of this, this change. Um, but I know many of them wonder, what, what do I do first? How it can feel like... Um, a monumental task to actually engage on this this process. Uh, one great way to get started, obviously, is joining us for uh, the webinar that you'll be uh, helping with next week, um, or I'm sorry, sorry, Wednesday, August nineteenth at uh, nine a.m. Pacific, 12, 12 Eastern. We've got the link to that in the the show notes. Um, but can you can you tell us other ways that you recommend? You know, if, if somebody approaches you and say, "I just want to get started on this," where's where's a good place for me to? To, to get going on starting to drive through this change? Where do you point them? I think there are all kinds of things that, again, they can Google just, you know, how do I create an inclusive culture? There are many books out there to help them understand the journey, um, how to be an anti-racist. Uh, mm -hmm. White Fragility is, um, is a great book. There are, uh, if you go to Netflix, Netflix, there are Black Lives Matter movies that people can watch. Um, they have a whole section now. So I think starting there in terms of self-education, but then as far as the company goes, um, again, uh, McKinsey and McKinsey and Company is a great resource for companies to understand the stats, to look at, you know, you, I think first you want to put a strategy plan together. And it all goes back to the baseline assessment stuff that I said before. Um, it's, it's really important to understand what your current climate is and where it is you want to go. Tell, tell me a little bit, maybe my final question is around individuals that want to drive change at a large, larger organization, but they're maybe not the CEO, they're maybe not the managing partner. Mm -hmm. How do you see individuals successfully enroll their organization in wanting to drive this kind of change if you're not necessarily by default in a position to quarterback right. that? Person in charge. I think, I think it can be difficult, but there's no insignificant person in this movement. So allyship is a great way to do that. You know, you standing up for, for someone in the company or speaking up or encouraging a person that, uh, or just helping them to amplify their voice. So maybe you heard, um, so you were talking to a coworker, they had a great idea, um, but they don't speak up during the meetings. Maybe you could encourage them to share the idea. Um, there are things, um, allyship is probably the most important thing that I think people can do that are not in power. 
because it still gives them power and it's still um, it's still moving the needle for employees. Maybe you being an ally is just making work a better place to be on a daily basis. And for those that are maybe not familiar with this concept of, of allyship, can you elaborate on, on what that looks like and, and what at, at its best it's helping drive in an organization? It's just people that are um, supportive of those who are marginalized. Um, so your people of color, LGBT, anybody that falls into a diverse category, um, people that um, that are in an organization, again, once they whether they have power or not, they can help to amplify the voices of those who truly don't feel like they they have a voice or they have any influence within the company, even if it's on their team or what have you. Um, it's just you um, stepping up and speaking up for somebody that you know could use use that help. Excellent. Well, Risha, thank you so much for sharing your your thoughts with us today. Looking forward to your webinar uh, that you'll you'll host with with us here at Clio on August 19th. A recording of that will be available for viewers that missed the, the live event as well. Uh, so be sure uh, to check out the show notes for more information about that webinar. Uh, and once again, Risha, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to next week as well. Thanks for joining us on Daily Matters, a podcast from Clio. Rate and review wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Daily Matters is produced by Andrew Booth, Sam Rosenthal, and Derek Bolin, and hosted by yours truly, Jack Newton. Thanks also to Clio, the world's leading cloud-based legal technology provider, for supporting this podcast.